Welcome to episode number seven of Building Optimal Radio. I'm Jared Gossett, your host, recording this from partly sunny Bogota, Colombia, which by the way, is actually an incredible city. If you haven't been, highly recommend it. The whole country is actually incredible. Today, we're interviewing well-known author and home building consultant, Scott Stroud, to hit on a range of financial topics that are really critical to your business from finding your optimal pricing to the key metrics you need to be evaluating to some of the things you can do now to improve your financials. Now, before we get started, a little about Scott. Scott is a founding partner of Cashflow Engineering, a company that helps owners create processes to simplify business management and optimize cash flow. Scott's also the co-author of three books, including Managing Your Business with Seven Key Numbers, which is among the top-selling home-building books and something that I highly recommend. It's a great read. And one last thing, we have a very solid lineup of interviews in store for you guys, so be sure to subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you use, be it iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever one. This way you get notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Building Optimal, Instagram, at Building Optimal. Enjoy. Scott, when you review a builder's books, what are the primary metrics you look at first and what are you learning from each one? When we come in and do what we call a business checkup, when we're looking at a business and we try to look at it holistically, the first thing, the place naturally we're going to start is with the financials because the financials, when we look back three to five years of financials, that's going to give us patterns. It's going to tell us, first of all, where we are, where the business is today. It's going to tell us what's happened in the business. And it's also going to show us the effectiveness of the owners in managing their resources. You know, how good are they at being good fiscal stewards? But the problem is that those financials don't tell us the whole story. They don't tell us how the company actually got where it is today, what's happening now in the business currently. So we start with the financials, as most would, but we look at other non-financial metrics, what we call the seven key numbers. And most accountants really aren't even aware of what some of these numbers are and how to measure them. But we've come up with with these numbers that we look at in a, a business. And tell me if you think these make sense. Number one is the number of leads generated. Because this is the front end of what generates cash flow. It's where revenue starts with our marketing. And this tells us the number of leads that's generated tells us the effectiveness of our marketing. The second we'll look at is sales or the conversion rate, which tells us the effectiveness of our sales processes. The third number we look at in a business is how well that business retains customers how good they are at keeping customers. Now, for builders, you say, well, hey, customer retention isn't important to me. But it is. When you talk about referrals and upsells, when you come back for remodelers, obviously, that's a critical number. The number of transactions per customer is the fourth one. We look at the average price per transaction. And, of course, always looking at ways to improve that. And then your standard financial numbers, your variable costs and your fixed costs, those things that are generally reflected in your, in your financial statements. Those are really the things that we look at. We start with the financials, but we look at those non-financial data, too. I like that because those really are the intangibles that are happening behind the scenes that are going to directly influence your financials. But you can't ascertain that information without looking behind the curtains. 
And most business owners, particularly in our industry, you start asking them about their marketing. Well, you know, what are your marketing numbers? And they get jittery or, or, <laughs> or skittish. You know, actually, they get the deer in the headlights look. What do you mean? Because as an industry, we hate marketing, but really that's where it all starts. So looking at these non-financials, if we measure these seven numbers, in fact, if we control these seven numbers in a business, you'll always have positive cash flow. Always. These are the numbers that contribute to cash flow. And so that's why we measure those. How frequently do you guys recommend that your builder clients are reviewing those numbers? When we set up a dashboard for them to look at those numbers, at least monthly, that means that on on a monthly basis, you should have a goal in order to make the revenue that we need to make in order to generate the cash that we need to generate this month, we need to make this many sales. And to make this many sales, we need to talk to this many people. It's science, really. It's just math. And so if you're watching the number of leads that you're getting in every month and you see it start to dip, well, you can project that unless you do something to counter that in your, in your conversion rate, your sales and your revenue are going to be off either in the next month or through that cycle. So on a monthly basis, if not on a daily basis, I mean, we set up dashboards where our our clients can look and see on a daily basis, where are we? Months to date, how many leads have I generated and and am I on target? There's something nice about having a real-time dashboard where you can constantly be aware of everything that you should be looking at. Because sometimes it's easy to step away into other things and then forget about some of those metrics that you know are important, but you just get caught up with the day-to-day activities and you forget. Exactly, Jared. And that's why you cannot run a business. You can't manage your business based on your financials because they're at least a month old. And in most cases, three to four months old by the time that data filters into a report. So you've got to look at what's happening today in a business. And these seven numbers help us to do that. Scott, speaking of this dashboard, is this something that you guys sell as a product to your clients or is this something that's available as a product purchased to the general public? You know, it is something that we make available and it is for purchase. And we've got a couple of ways to monitor that. One is a very, very simple uh, spreadsheet that you can, uh, that you can get and just keep your numbers in that from there up to a more sophisticated software that is actually your business management software designed specifically for builders in the construction industry. And I assume this is available on your website, which we'll link to in the show notes for the episode. Yeah, actually, depending on when this airs, for full transparency, the software is currently under revision. So we pulled that off of our website. It may be back on by the time this airs. If not, your listeners are welcome to call me and talk to me specifically and ask about that because it is there and it is brilliant in terms of how it helps a builder to do some of the things we're going to talk about today, just to maintain their business and manage their business with a view to cash flow and not just profits, but more importantly, cash flow. From your experience, what's the hardest financial metric for a builder to control? What's the most common solution you found for them to improve that metric? That's a good question. And I'm going to speak in generalities here because I think most builders understand that there's challenges. Some of the common challenges are in maintaining good, tight scheduling. Others have estimating as their issue, and they kind of shoot from the hip with their estimates, and they don't consider that part of of a contract or pricing. And the effect of any of these is cash flow. These have a direct bearing on your cash flow. So from a practical standpoint and from a business or mechanical standpoint, I would think those things are the first things that we look at. 
However, we go back to our seven numbers and where cash comes in and cash comes in from sales. And so the marketing and your sales conversions are also important to look at. And some of the builders that we find are just so good at building and so good at maybe scheduling and estimating, but not good on generating the leads that it takes to maintain their business. So we look at at all of those. And in terms of common solutions, once again, when you begin measuring something, it, it tends to improve. In fact, just by looking at scheduling and building a scheduling program or metric, even if it's in a software, excuse me, in an Excel spreadsheet, something that helps you really watch how you're scheduling and tightening that up or your estimating or your pricing. Just by beginning to monitor that and give attention to it, we generally see about a 10% increase in effectiveness. What's some of the low-hanging fruit that builders can start doing to see better financial results? I would say the first thing that we can do is start pricing our products and our services correctly. And when I say correctly, that means not letting the market dictate what our prices should be, but instead start with a profit goal. What do I need to make this month or on this project? What is my profit goal? And then working backwards from there. Profit is not what's left over at the end of a job. Profit is what you engineer from the very beginning. And then you put in place the processes that you need to put in place in order to make that happen and to hit those numbers. And I think having that perspective is the easiest way that a builder can begin increasing their profitability or a contractor increasing his profitability. Start with what this job should yield. What's my profit? What should I have at the end of this job? And then working backward to make sure that we get that. Managing your change orders. When those come up, I mean, there's oftentimes a change will come up when we're on a job site. Uh, Hey, can you move this wall? Hey, can you add a window? And we're shooting from the hip instead of giving uh, the proper attention to what that really should cost and doing the numbers on there. So when we look at change orders, I think there's a huge opportunity for builders to stop losing money on change orders and make those profit points. I want to talk a little bit more about, I really like your perspective about starting with a profit goal in mind. I think that's an area where a lot of builders struggle in terms of knowing how to price our services. So we start with a profit goal in mind. That makes sense. But there's got to be some sort of balance, right? Because, I mean, at some point you bump up against market conditions where you might just simply start losing out on bids because you're too high. So how does a builder walk that tightrope of establishing the profit goal and then making sure that it still will allow them to stay market competitive? The bottom line, right, is the price. The price is the bottom line. But that's the bottom line, there's a, a lot of numbers above those that we can look at that create that bottom line. And I understand that in every market, there's what the market can bear. So I think it starts with deciding what our product is and where it fits into the marketplace. Uh, is this a luxury product or is it an economy product? Are we selling to first-time buyers? Are we selling to retirees and uh, or luxury move-ups? Whatever we decide, there's going to be somewhat of a, of a ceiling. I think those are soft ceilings when we say, well, that, you know, this is all that the market will bear. But that said, once we determine what our fit and finish is and what our product really should look like, we want to price it fairly, which means being fair to ourselves also and establishing what a realistic profit should be on it. 
but then to support that by establishing the value of what our offering is. And this is conceptual, but it's something that most builders fail to look at. I won't say most builders, but a lot fail to look at. And that is really supporting the value, supporting their price with a value proposition, which means creating the value and creating the story behind the value and explaining why our product costs what it costs. Not why we need to make what we make, but why our product costs what it costs and is worth it. A luxury European car is going to be, you would expect to be priced much differently than a uh, midsize Asian car, a U.S. car. Why? Well, there is an inherent perspective. We perceive an additional value in the things that we're going to get from that. Well, we need to tell the story of why our homes are worth what we're asking for them. And oftentimes, that's just what the buyer needs in order to spend a little more money. When you're charging a little bit more than your competitor and you're getting it, the buyer has got a pride factor there. They're proud that they've spent a little bit more and gotten a little bit more from that. So build the value into your product and you won't have to justify your price. I want to talk about that while we're on the topic. So speaking of these unique value propositions, you talk about it here. You talk about it in your book. We hit on this in our interview with Tom Woodcock, who's a sales and branding expert. In your opinion, what are some of the better unique value propositions that you've seen in this industry that can help somebody charge that premium for their product? The best value propositions are those that speak to the emotions of the buyer. Those that give the buyer a sense of pride, a sense of status, a sense of uh, anticipation, the joy in what they're getting, knowing that it's different from what the competitor is doing. And so that's the number one thing is to differentiate. What you can't say is our homes are a higher quality than everybody else's homes. You can, you, that falls flat with the buyer because everybody touts quality. And because the buyer has no idea what that really means and how to measure that for themselves and actually determine that, but most importantly, because it has no emotional impact on the buyer. So when you come in and you tell the story of younger buyers, for example, are interested in sustainability and green, and you're telling the story of of why you chose this particular cabinet or this particular countertop or flooring and why you chose bamboo instead of oak, and you build the story that they can get behind and be proud of, then they do. Maybe other builders are doing it too, but if they're not owning it, if they're not telling the story, then they're not building value in it. So look at your buyers, what they value, what their value system is, and how your homes match that value system that the buyer has. And you'll be able to find multiple ways to make your homes unique to them, make your homes different from what everyone else is doing in a way that builds value with that customer. And I've heard you talk about how the best marketing tells a story. I think that's a really underutilized aspect of marketing that so few of us have really taken full advantage of. How do we go about crafting our story? People enjoy getting to know the builder. 
They want to know something about the builder. And the builder, when you say, you know, the first time I held a hammer, I was four years old and I was with my father who was a builder or framer or, or whatever. And from that time, I developed a passion for just what it means to be on a job site, the smell of the wood and the sound of the hammers and the weight of that hammer in my hand. When you're talking about physical things that have that, that a buyer can connect with. And when we tell that story in a way that connects with that buyer to say, wow, you're living the dream. You must be the best builder in the world because you love it so much. You know, that's one way. Maybe the story, you know, you come into construction from a different path. Maybe a builder was a financial consultant and just hated having to put a suit on and go to work every day. You know, but sit in their office looking outside at this construction site and going, man, that's really where I want to be. And parlayed their, you know, left a, a great career to go out and do what they love and to pursue the dream. So I think that when we tell a story, it's a story of achievement and it's a story of joy and it's a story of fulfillment and satisfaction that we have that we want to share with our clients. And when we come from that kind of a perspective, boy, is my marketing hat on now, Jared. But when we come from that kind of perspective, we are speaking to the emotions of the buyer. And think about it. Whenever you're buying anything, you know, from a ballpoint pen to an automobile to certainly a home, don't you want to be really emotionally involved? And aren't you looking for a reason to be passionate about owning that thing and or having that or investing in that and what it will mean for not just your family, but for your own sense of fulfillment? So when we give our clients the opportunity to buy into that, and it's got to be sincere. You're not going to go out and make up these stories because you'll get called on it and, and it won't, you know, it, it won't resonate. But when it's your story and you're willing to share that and make your home something that you're sharing with them as something special to you, it'll be special to them. This makes me think of something, or this is just my two cents, and I welcome your opinion, but I think the stories are so critically important. As we've heard our whole lives, a picture's worth a thousand words, and I actually think that in this day and age, a video is worth a thousand pictures, and I think we so underutilize the power of video to tell our stories as builders, it's a little more difficult to produce, but uh, that's something that I always encourage is the use of more videos, use of more kind of interactive type storytelling. I agree completely. Look at what's happened to social media over the last 10, 15 years and Facebook, Pinterest, uh, Instagram, the videos that you see here, just grab your cell phone, pull it out, push video and start recording and be earnest and be excited and be passionate about what you're showing people. And they will eat up your passion and become completely involved and engrossed in your story. By the way, a, a gentleman named Don Miller has a website. He's in Nashville, but your listeners can go to a website called storybrand.com and find some inspiring ways to be able to tell their own story. That's some great feedback. We'll make sure we include that in the show notes. I want to get back to our financial discussion. This obviously all ties in to it because what we can do on the marketing and branding side is going to allow us to hit that optimal pricing that you're talking about. So I think this all parlays very nicely into that discussion. But I want to get back to a question. For my company, I've found that reducing construction costs by just as little as 5% can actually double our profitability 
and or deliver big savings to our clients on the overall project budget. In other words, it's not a tremendous percentage change on the direct cost side can be a tremendous lever for our financial results. How do we go about looking to reduce our construction costs by just a few points without sacrificing quality? Good question. And I would say it's probably not on the job site itself. It's not, you don't stand on a job site and say, okay, where can I cut something out? Because that's going to directly affect the value of your product. But you can look and be more strategic in purchasing, looking at vendor incentives, negotiating terms with your vendors and suppliers, taking advantage of advertising or co-op that they might give you, those can be a place to realize some savings. The other areas include scheduling. And I find that this probably the largest area where savings can be realized is just on making sure we're maintaining a very tight schedule and being very effective with our time because time is money. Another way that I'm seeing builders more and more look at ways to componentize their product. Trusses replaced rafters in, you know, on job sites in the 1980s and 90s. Now we're looking at panelization, modular construction, at off-site construction that's pulled into, or at least pods or some elements of the home, because there are savings involved without cutting quality. In fact, now oftentimes they're enhancing or increasing quality at the same time cutting time. That's great feedback. And I actually want to highlight one thing you said, which is the co-ops. We have a little bit of experience with one called CBUSA. We're no longer a part of it, but we had a great experience there. And so that's one that I have experience with. I can recommend as a really great resource for somebody to check out in terms of joining a group and possibly getting some of the purchasing power from that organization that comes and and benefits the smaller builders and remodelers. Yes, that's a good organization. But you know, most vendors have some kind of co-op. And we talked at the beginning uh, and, and a little bit just a couple of questions ago about marketing. If you can get your vendors to support your marketing, at least to an extent, then that's money you don't have to spend out of your pocket. We've taken advantage of something similar in, in the past. You know, if you have a particular manufacturer that you continually use and go back to, oftentimes we don't realize that you can simply go to the uh, the rep for that manufacturer or that brand and just talk to them and get the benefit of some sort of rebates or trade discounts or some sort of committed purchase program. There's a lot of opportunity that we probably leave on the table just in that world as well. One of my favorite formulas to look at for my business is the return on equity, because I feel like it's in some way there, I know there's no perfect, you know, one stop shop metric that tells you everything, but I like it just in terms of it encapsulates so many different performance metrics in the company. You know, with this return on equity, it's interesting because it can actually be broken down into three components, which is basically financial leverage. So that would be assets over equity or assets divided by equity, asset turnover, which would be sales divided by assets and the net profit margin, which is, of course, net income divided by sales. The thing that's really interesting about that is that when you multiply those three together, it's just another way of giving you your return on equity. And for me, that's interesting because what it shows is that profitability for a builder literally can be broken down into speed times leverage times profitability in one sense. So I think that profitability is given so much more attention than speed and leverage, but they're very important nonetheless. So I'd like to hit on those for, for a second and get your opinion on those two elements. 
I'm glad that you made that point that speed and the ability to leverage your assets are as important, if not more important than profitability. You know, a, a company can go for years without being profitable. Look at Amazon, the six years before it made its first penny in profit. But at the same time, it was getting investment, it had cash flow, it was building equity in its company. So I'm glad to field this question. And of course, you're assuming that a business has equity, and that's something that every business owner really needs to strive to build. But once you have that speed, we'll talk about speed and leverage as separate. Uh, speed, time is, is money. When you've got the assets to be able to build more quickly and whatever that means, however, whether it's by tighter scheduling or it's by using components or it's by using offsite construction or a combination of all of these, look at how speed gives you a, a better return. If you can increase your speed by 15%, that means one additional turnover on your assets per year. You know, maybe if, if you're building 12 houses a year, now you're building 13 houses a year. And the revenue that you gain from that is, is one more. You know, if you're building 120, now you're building 130. It's just a matter of understanding that we can do more if we better leverage or if we're faster with it. Leverage, the same thing. That's why cash flow is so important because a healthy cash position gives you the leverage to act more quickly, to negotiate your best pricing, and often to bid and win jobs that others can't perform. So that's where using your leverage to look at, I'm calling a healthy cash position, whether it's cash on hand or the ability to generate cash in order to uh, qualify and be able to complete these projects. That's why, why what we call cash flow is just so important to build in your company. Let's talk about leverage on this note as well, because I think leverage, like what you just mentioned, speed is an exponential lever. And so few of us have, have really taken the time to probably realize that, but that literally just small improvements can yield exponential increases. And then, and then leverage too. I know that cash flow is obviously the lifeblood of our business. It's something that you all preach and it's one of the kind of the foundational components of what you guys talk about. Leverage, or at least in leverage, probably can be considered as healthy leverage or unhealthy leverage. But can you talk a little bit about um, how we can improve our cash flow through healthy leverage? When we talk about cash flow, we often think, well, that's your cash reserves. But it can be cash, it can be debt, it can be investment from owners or principals. So the ability to generate cash from any of those sources gives you the ability to take advantage of opportunities, best pricing, terms, and to, to get jobs that others can't, and also to win people and, and staff, team members that will naturally flow toward a more healthy company. So when we talk about leverage, you know, understanding that cash flow or the ability to generate cash is the biggest lever that you have. And also understanding the part that those other seven numbers, those non-financial numbers have in giving you that lever, that maintaining uh, a good uh, stream of new business, of new clients, generating leads and new awareness to your company, converting those into new sales and moving people through that sales funnel. That's what gives you, that's what builds that leverage. 
For us, I'll put myself on the hot seat for a second and open myself up to your critique if you see any issues with what we're doing. But let's take leverage for land purchases and construction for like spec projects. Let's take that type of debt off the table for a second. Just talk about operational leverage. For us on our operation, we utilize primarily two things. One is customer deposit, which I think is so critical. So we our process is we charge a 5% deposit upfront at the loan closing or the commencement of the contract. So that helps just put our cash flow in the right direction so that we're not having to float project costs and basically be the client's bank. So I think that's one thing that's critically important that we do. The amount, you know, I've heard some people get as much as a 10% deposit or probably less, but for us, we found kind of five is a good balance. That's one of the things we do. And then the other thing is we actually, we've got a, a good healthy amount of credit card limit. And so what we'll actually do is, for instance, the lumber yards usually will be like a 30-day payable cycle or whatever. So when we go buy a big expensive lumber package, we don't have to pay for 30 days anyway. And then we can put it on the credit card at the end of that. So it ends up essentially creating like a, a 60 day payable cycle. The one thing that we do, and I want, I want to be really clear about, encourage everybody else to do is to pay that credit card off every month. So we're not accumulating a balance, but it allows us to basically get two months of additional payables time, which really, really helps the cash flow cycle for us. I applaud you on both of those. Having a good line of credit, whether it's credit cards or a line of credit at a bank that you're using like that, that truly helps your uh, financial positioning and your cash flow. More important, using your customers' cash and not being their bank. I love the way you phrased that. That's, I think, exactly what Jeff wrote in our book in the section that he wrote on that. And I've heard him say more often, you're not their bank. Use their money. So the most successful builders that I know are using the customer's money and letting them make the investment up front. Uh, I know one builder in Michigan that uh, when we sit down to talk, the first conversation is free. If we decide that we want to move forward together, there's going to be a deposit right up front for my time, he says, to uh, do a feasibility study. And the feasibility study is what he calls, you know, sitting down and outlining and the, that estimating and coming up and saying, yes, you know, we can build a house in your ballpark. This is what it's going to look like. And here are the terms. Do you want to move forward? So even that amount of time is paid for basically or subsidized by the client. So when we look at ways to do that, it, it, we say, well, a lot of builders say, I can't do that. Well, of course you can. That's business. You know, most other industries do that. They're not working for you for free in hopes that you're going to do business with them. And that's also going back to establishing your value, uh, not only as a builder, but as an individual, as a company. And if you're charging up front for the work that you're going to do, then that makes you more valuable than the guy that doesn't in the buyer's mind. That's something we talked about in our second episode with Dennis Dixon, who also has one of the NAHB's top selling books in addition to you and, and your partner, Jeff. So both amazing books, but that's one of the things that he hit on as well. The importance of getting compensated for your time up front and the perspective you're putting on it is also, I think, something that we need to consider. Not only do we A, directly get compensated for our time, but B, the indirect result of valuing ourselves with that will oftentimes have the customer value our time more as well. Exactly. They will. They will appreciate that you're in this together instead of taking advantage of you when you do that. 
Well, Scott, we've covered a lot of ground. I really, uh, I really like the focus on the financial discussion right now. I really wanted to hit on a lot of those with you. There's a lot more that I'd like to visit with you on in the future. So hopefully we can have you back on in the near future to hit on maybe some more kind of marketing topics and branding topics and some things like that as well. A final thought here, and it kind of goes with that last question that you asked about leveraging ourselves in our time. When we look at the seven numbers and the the last number being fixed costs, and it comes directly to leveraging, one of the things that we teach our clients, most of whom are builders, to embrace is that their salary doesn't come out of the profit. Their salary is a fixed cost. And when we put that in up front, their time is should automatically be compensated for. And then the profit is what the company generates after all the costs are, are paid from the revenue. So when we start thinking in those terms, then we begin to value ourselves and begin to leverage our own time in a more efficient way. I find that the bigger businesses do that, but the smaller businesses and the smaller business people have a difficult time really embracing that perspective. So I wanted to share that there. That's great perspective. And and tying back into what we were talking about a a moment ago, I think once you start valuing all of the costs that go into running your business, your customers will do the same. Exactly. Scott, this was a great interview. I really appreciate it. Tell us before we go where we can find you online. Our website is cashflowengineering.com. On there, you'll find a number of resources that we make available for free, as well as some uh, specific business building courses and paid resources that we have. In addition to our uh, ability to do consulting and to come in and work with you and your business to evaluate it, to fix what's, help you fix what's broken and to make it great. And uh, when we say make it great, we feel a great business is one that meets the, the goals and dreams of its owner. Excellent. Well, Scott, thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome, Jared. Thanks so much for having me on your show. 